0: Second Samuel chapter 6, it says the ark is brought to Jerusalem. We're going to begin in verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Then David said to Mishael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over Israel, over Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and i will be humiliated in my own eyes but by these slave girls you spoke of i will be i will be held in honor and my child daughter of saul had no children to the day of her death let's say our scripture declaration together lord we honor your word to us may your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice heavenly father as pastor randy comes forward may this be a message that you've prepared for him to deliver to our hearts. Open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to hear from you today. Amen.
1: Amen. All right, well, church family, go ahead and keep that piece and passage of scripture open. Keep it up on your phones or whatever it, because I am gonna be referring to that, but it'll be a little later on in the message. As you know, we've been talking about living beyond our fears, living lion-hearted lives. And we've been doing that kind of from a book that I've talked about a number of different times. I want to make sure and honor it because it is one that has been very much contributing to the things that we're talking about. I'm going to quote it a couple of times in the coming uh, uh, service today and the message I'm going to be sharing with you. It is In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. It is a great book, and uh, the more that I read it and the more that I go back and study the chapters as we go along in this message series, the more I realize it really is truly a great book. Now, we've been a few places, and one of the main things that I wanted to make sure that we all catch is this next thing, and this was our week one big idea, and that is success is to do the best that I can with what I have where I am. When we're talking about living beyond your fears, it's not just simply about being afraid of COVID in our current circumstances. I'm not trying to preach a message about that. I'm trying to instead instill in all of us There are a lot of fears that run a lot deeper uh, in in our lives that go, you know, way beyond just simply whether or not we'll catch COVID or not. Uh, For some of you, you're not necessarily that worried. For some of you, you've already gotten that and it's not been a big deal. For some of you, you've gone through it, but the likelihood is, is that it's not something that you're fearing right now. And so we understand that beyond those things, just simply because we kind of got past our fear and trepidation dealing with COVID in the current circumstances doesn't mean that we are now beyond living all of our fears The truth is, is we're only born with two fears. That's the fear of loud noises and fear of falling. You ever think about a baby, they're not afraid. That's why you have to watch them very closely because they're not afraid of an electric socket, right? I mean, that's why they have those little plastic things. Shelly has not taken those plastic things off. I don't think she's worried about any toddlers since all of our kids are gone. She's probably just worried about me because I'm a little too curious sometimes, right? We're only born with two fears, but we live with so many others, including hundreds of phobias, that we as human beings have created because of something that we've done, or experienced, and then ingrained it within us to be a fear. Now, as you keep looking, we also talked a little bit on big idea week number four, is that God is great because nothing is too big for him, and nothing is too small for him either. It's not just simply that he cares only about the big things. He cares about everything, big or small, or everywhere in between. That's what makes God so great. Now, today, I'm going to talk with you about something, and we're just going to start off in this way. Now, I want to click to this next slide. Let's click to this next slide. First of all, let's just take a moment of silence in honor of that beard. I mean, my goodness, that's awesome. All right, now we're continuing on. He's embarrassed. How many of you have ever had this experience where you did something when no one was around and maybe, like, you fell? You know, like you shouldn't have fallen. There was nothing to trip on. You tripped on a piece of dust and lint and down you went. And what did you do? You like popped up and you like start looking around. Did anybody see that? How many of you have ever had that experience? Let me see your hands. Be honest. No, no, no. I'm serious. Let me see your hands today. How many of you have ever had that experience? Every single one of us, right? Now, how many of you have ever had this experience where you, you fall flat or, or maybe like you did something dumb or maybe it wasn't dumb, but it had a dumb outcome. And then you look around and nobody's looking, but then you turn all the way around and there's somebody looking and they're going, <laughs> and they're not laughing at you. They're laughing with you, right? How many of you have ever had that experience, right? It's crazy. It's true. It's true. Like, we've all done stuff that we look around and go, man, I hope nobody saw that. I hope nobody heard that. I hope nobody was around when that happened. And then we turn, and they're not laughing at you because you know why? They've done the same exact thing. They've had the same exact experience. And so they're not judging you. They're like, yeah, man, been there and done that, right? So we all understand experience this embarrassment. Well, here is the problem. For all of us to just laugh about this because we've been there and done that and can identify with that bearded or not today, we can identify, but you can also identify with this next slide because when you're the one, well, I tell you what, yeah, no, no, stay, stay right there, stay right there. I, I got ahead of myself. Benadiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That's where the whole book title comes from. And this is Benaniah, the guy that's kind of been so inspiring. But here on this next slide, now I'm there, we can all identify with this, right? Whenever we do something that's embarrassing to us, This is how we feel, even if we just literally, I I made all of you raise your hands for a reason, because we've all been there, but I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, but the problem is not have you been there at the first guy, the bearded guy. The question is, is this what is constantly being said to you in your mind? Because the truth of the matter is, is we've all done embarrassing things. We've all done things that we're ashamed that we did them. But the truth is, is that we have a response to those things. And for many of us, it looks and feels like this, even if no one is around, or even if it's just one person, or even if it's just one person that said something that could have been misconstrued two or three different ways, we took it the worst way and we felt like it was that, right? Can I get an amen, right? I mean, one little small thing made us feel like everyone in the world is all against me. I love listening to athletes. You know, people who like literally sell jerseys of themselves. You know, they're like, they have a jersey and a jersey number, and we walk around with their jersey name or their names on the back of those jerseys. But then you interview them after a big game, and they go, Nobody cares about us. Nobody likes us. Nobody was in our corner. Nobody believed in us but us. And you're like, Bro, somebody bought a $100 jersey to walk around with your name on their back. That's not true, it's just how you feel. The truth of the matter is, is for most of us, we shouldn't be embarrassed, we shouldn't walk around in shame, but we feel like that even though it's not accurate. If you guys understand what I'm saying, please say amen. So here's the deal. I wanna share with you a couple of things. If you listen to this passage of scripture that Eric just read, all about the ark being brought back to Jerusalem, let's go to this something to learn, this next slide. My, my shul, or probably... Michael or something like that in a Jewish pronunciation. But y'all know I'm not Jewish. And so I'm just going to say Mishael because that is a little easier for me to pronounce. Mishael was the daughter of King Saul who was given in marriage to David. And when he and Saul were mortal enemies is when it took place. As a matter of fact, Saul gave him a task that he didn't think he'd complete without being killed. But when he did it, he had to honor his word and give him, give David, the hand of Mishael, his own daughter. Scripture portrays Mishael and David as having a very loving relationship until this passage of Scripture, until she despised him in her heart that we just heard about. I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But if you listen to the passage of Scripture that Eric read, you realize that David was in a moment of unfiltered and unfettered worship. And basically, something I shared with you guys last week, this next slide, is that worship is about forgetting what's wrong with us and remembering what's right with God, right? Now, now, I look at that again for just a moment. Worship is forgetting about what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with God. Now, hit the pause button for me, just a moment. We just talked about thinking, well, everybody's done this, everybody's had this happen, And we think about, okay, well, God is the redeemer. We talked about this last week, how he literally can redeem and buy back experiences in our life where we are ashamed or embarrassed. The things that we were embarrassed and ashamed of, he can turn around and use for his good and for the good of others. And it can also even be the very thing that is the niche ...that you find for yourself to actually make a difference in somebody else's life... ...which is what we are created and designed to do. As a matter of fact, that one to remember that we've often referred to... ...is that we were created to do good works by God. So that means that if we were created to do good in this world... ...if we're not doing that, there's something that's missing. And so in this passage of Scripture that we've just read... ...this is an unfiltered and unfettered worship experience... David forgets what's wrong about him because the truth is, is that they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It had been kept out in a outskirts city because David was afraid of God's presence being too holy and too powerful. And so he said, as God has broken out against other people who didn't take him seriously enough, just leave it right where it's at. But when he left it where it was, That house that it was left in started being blessed overly and abundantly. The presence of God in that house started pouring out blessings on the owners of that house. There's a whole message in that alone. But finally, David goes, you know what? The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be something that symbolizes God's presence. It needs to be here in the place where we're going to have a temple eventually and we're going to bring it to Jerusalem so the people in Jerusalem can see and experience God's presence. As they bring it, it becomes this national day of worship. Six steps, a burnt offering. Six more steps, another burnt offering. Six more steps, another burnt offering. And David is leading the procession. Now the Bible tells us that he was dancing before the Lord. Mishal says that he became half naked, right? So let me be clear. In the ancient times, if you could basically see any skin, that was way too much skin for them back then, right? And so the truth is is that whenever she was saying half naked, it might have just been that he left off his outer cloak. But he was wearing what was called a linen ephod. That is something that you appeared before the Lord as a priest in. He was wearing something that would not have been you know, culturally okay in commonplace, right? But as that happened, he was dancing before the Lord. Now, I want to be clear about something, all right? You know, listen to me. I've heard people go, see, that's why I go to the clubs because, you know, David danced before the Lord and I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, you don't, you, no, 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 no. I don't think David was getting busy, right? I mean, he was just like going crazy about the presence of God. Y'all understand the difference? Don't don't pretend you don't understand the difference. Man, we're all adults here. I'm not going to be fooled by that childishness. Here's what I know. This is true. David was dancing before the Lord, but he was doing it in a way that was all about God. And in the midst of it all, he became very undignified and very unculturally cool in the things that he was doing His wife, Mishael, who up to this point has been close with him, who literally has done a couple of things to go against her father and save David's life so that he might be preserved to be king in her father's place. Mishael goes down a dark path in this moment. She sees him, and the Bible says she despises him in her heart. Now, there's something to learn very quickly. I'm going to take a little bit of a different turn, but I'm going to bring it all back around. So you guys hang with me. There is a a, a word that you can learn today, that we can talk about today, and as we go our separate ways, you will have learned at least one new vocabulary word. It's called neoteny. The word neoteny comes from the Greek word neos, which means new, fresh, or youthful. It is the retention of a youthful appearance in animals and or humans but it also refers to the retention of youthful qualities by adults. In other words, what that basically is meaning is, have you ever met somebody who was old but didn't feel like they were old, right? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? Maybe they did not look old, you know? And I'm not talking about Hollywood, not old, you know, all the Botox and all the, the most beautiful face you, that money can buy, right? Not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they are youthful. They do not feel old, and yet they are old in age. And I have often said, and this is honestly what I really believe, you get old before you get old. You guys with me? You get old before you get old. The truth is, is your body might hurt, but there are a lot of people that are doing things even with some of those same struggles because they haven't allowed it to creep into their mind and become something that cripples them. And here's what we know. This is something that is a lot more important to me at age 50 than it ever was before. There's a book called Geeks and Geezers. Yes, what a great title. But in this book called Geeks and Geezers, and I'm gonna give you the names of the people, Warren Bennis and Robert Thomas collaborated on this, and they said neoteny is the retention of those wonderful qualities that we associate with youth. And if we're gonna keep neoteny going in our life, we must retain warmth, Curiosity, fearlessness, and energy. Now, stop for a second. Stop for just a second. There's four characteristics that I just listed there. Warmth, curiosity, fearlessness, and energy. You know, as well as I do, that a lot of the time, that is found in a child. But it goes away. It leaks The older that we get, the less warm we become, the less curious we become. Man, I've done seen it all. I don't need to see another thing in my life because I've seen it all. I've actually seen too much. Or what about the fearlessness? I can't do that. You know how old I am? I don't do things like that anymore. Or energy, just the energy of doing things. The curiosity of learning things, experiencing things new. Listen to this. Unlike those defeated by age, the geezers that they're referring to are the people that retain this neoteny, this idea of acting, feeling, maybe even looking young while they grow older. They remain open, willing to take risks, hungry for new knowledge, hungry for new experiences. They're courageous and they're eager to see what a new day brings. Now, let's be honest. If you are over 50 like certain individuals are, you probably can give me an amen if I were to say, you know, sometimes I just don't care what the new day brings, man. It's like that alarm goes off and I'm like, oh. I know it's just me. But isn't it interesting that the people that we respect the most are the people who have not become jaded in this world. They are the people who continue to grow no matter what their age. They continue to develop. And you know what? I'm scared. I'm scared. Because you know why I'm scared? I'm scared that the rate and the pace of things that have changed, even since my daughters were in high school. My daughters are in their mid to early 20s right now. There's, there's stuff that's changed. Like like we never hear about Snapchat anymore. That was a huge thing when my daughters were around. I'm I, no, maybe some of you are like, Snapchat's still around, man. You're old. Yeah, I know. I get it. I'm old. But here's what I'm saying. These things are changing. You know, Facebook used to be the thing. And now for other people, it's like, I don't get on Facebook. That's where my grandparents hang out. Man, it's changing around so fast on us. Right? And isn't it interesting as things continue to change? Here's why I'm worried. I'm worried because I don't want to lose touch with my daughters and speak the same language that they do. I don't want, when I do have grandkids, no announcement. (laughs) When I do eventually have grandchildren, I don't want to be the person that they go, (laughs) Grandpa already, I'm going by P. Diddy, by the way. When I become, yes, P. Diddy, Puckett. P. Diddy's a good dude, but he does not even understand. These important things. I want P. Diddy to be a guy who can still relate. That's why I'm going to be called P. Diddy. Little figure here. That's the thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want it to pass me by. Now, I've been saying things that are making some of y'all laugh. Some of y'all, not so much, but that's okay. Here's the question that I have for you, and I'm going to turn it kind of serious. Are your best days behind you? Are you living in them now, or are they still in front of you? Because the truth of the matter is, is that for us, the day that we turn and say there's nothing to look forward to, and the only thing that we can ever muster is the slam down on the alarm clock and, oh, another day, then we have lost something that is powerful in our lives, and we likely will become inward, Not outward. Our shame has overcome those things that we are proud of. The things that we have grown weary of has overwhelmed the things that we are excited about. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And it pushes you and it pushes me to the borders of irrelevance in our world and in our circle of influence. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So you and I don't actually have a choice If we're going to live a life that is God-honoring, we can't give up. We cannot give up. Wow. At the very moment I said, we cannot give up, my battery pack (laughs) gave up. Do you mind? You can go in the back and grab me one. I'm not in a huge hurry. I'm going to be here for a little while. I don't know if you've seen my work. Anyway, (laughs) who's paying attention now, right? Let's go to this next slide. (laughs) Thank you so much, Naeem. if I forget to say. Let's go ahead and go to this next slide. This is biblical. This isn't just me pontificating. This isn't just Mark Batterson making a comment. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him. He placed that child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says in his book, Mark Batterson does, that basically at the moment of our sanctification, we become two things. We begin a journey of two separate paths: one to become more Christ-like, and the second to become more childlike. I believe that many of us as Christians take very seriously coming becoming more Christ-like. I think most of us have walked away from the concept and idea of becoming more childlike. I feel like—is there someone behind me? Because I feel like there might be. Yes, yes. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Scrub this from YouTube, y'all. Scrub it from YouTube. This is not a bit. This is real life. I'm sorry. Let me explain this in kind of terms that you and I might understand. Let's go to this next slide (laughs) Divergent Thinking Scale. They actually have surveyed and put a scale together of divergent thinking. That means basically thinking outside the box. You guys with me? Okay. So when they tested children, they ranked them at a genius level. And children who divergently thought at a genius level between ages 3 and 5, 98% of the kids did. Age 8 to 10, 32% did. Among those aged in their teens, 10%. Among those aged over 25, down to 2%. You know this. This is not surprising. Because life just has a way of sucking joy smooth out of you. Right? And you become jaded. I become jaded. I've seen enough. I don't want to learn something new that's just going to go away soon. Right? Right? thinking about the people that thought that about email back in the late 80s. Email, that's just going to go away. Here we are. So really, truly, as we begin to think about this, I want to be very clear about something. This is Jesus saying this to his disciples. If you want to be Christ-like, you become like a child. But also, how many of you guys have ever seen this picture whenever you've checked in? Y'all have been there? Motel? Right, You open the drawer in a motel, and there on the, in the shelf in that, that drawer is the Bible placed by who? The Gideons. Do you recognize that symbol? Do you know what that symbol is? That symbol is a jar with a torch behind it. If you don't know the story of Gideon from Judges, you don't know what that means. But basically, God thinned out an army fend out an army that was already way overmatched and he said, here's how you're gonna defeat them. You're gonna have a jug in one hand and you're gonna have a torch in the other and at the moment that a trumpet sounds, you're gonna smash the jug and you're gonna hold up the torch and at that moment, they're gonna freak out and they're gonna be committing suicide on one another's swords. They're in so much confusion. That ain't exactly a great battle plan to share with your troops. Let's go to this next slide. Our foolish God. I, you, I know y'all are like, how do you get to do that when you're a preacher? How do you get to call God foolish? No, no. Follow me. Gideon, there's too many soldiers. Send half of them home. If you're scared, don't even come. Thin them out at the, at the drinking uh, pool where you get something to drink. What about Joshua? Here's what we're going to do, y'all. We're not going to say a word, but we're going to march around this city with walls so big we can barely see over them and walls so thick that they'll never come down. We're just going to walk around them. And then the seventh day, we're going to walk around them seven times. It's like, what is that going to do? What is it going to do? Well, that plus God is a really great battle plan. God doing foolish things in the eyes of men that accomplish God-sized things in the real world. It's amazing how that happens. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. What about Esther? She's an orphan refugee. What in the world is she ever gonna do with her life? She becomes queen. She becomes a heroine. She becomes a legend. I mean, you can go back and listen to an eight part series if you want to. What about the disciples? I promise you, those disciples that they chose, there's probably only a handful of them that you would have ever said they could do anything outside of just a little bit of something. 12 ordinary men that turned the world upside down because God was with them. For you and for me, we're embarrassed about our past. We're embarrassed to try something great. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Sometimes when you look more foolish than anything else, God is more at work in your life than ever before. Let's go to this next slide here. And I believe... You might recognize what I just said a minute ago from 1 Corinthians chapter one. God chooses the, what word? Foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify those things which are so that no one may boast before him. How do I get to call God foolish? Because God's own word calls God's methods foolish. But he also forgets to say, it's foolish plus God's power equals incredible. This is what we don't grasp. And so for most of us, we've done something foolish. We're looking around. Hope nobody saw that, but somebody did. Maybe it's your family that reminds you. Maybe it's the people that you grew up with that remind you of what you used to be. Maybe it's the people that are online that are bringing you down. Like you could go and go and go and go and have a long list of all the people that shame you for what you used to be or you used to do or have done in your past. And so in the process of it all, you stay put and stay anchored because I don't want to look foolish again. But the truth is, is that sometimes when God is in it and we are seeming to do things that seem very foolish, God is truly at work. Let's go to our next slide here. And this is the big idea. It's the very same big idea as last week. To live lion-hearted. your faith must be larger than your fears and your feelings. That first one that we're talking about overcoming today is the fear of looking foolish. There are a lot of people who never try a single thing, never do a lot of fun things because they're deathly afraid of looking foolish. Seeming, appearing to be foolish. I I can't do it perfect, but let me just say this. I love the quote by Dave Ramsey. He says, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress, impress people that we don't care about, right? This is our world. We're desperately trying to care and be concerned about what people think of us and it's not something that we actually ought to care about at all. So we gotta just get beyond that and go beyond that thought. So very quickly, I've been having you guys read the big idea out loud with me. Let's do this and then let's keep it moving. Read with me, would you? To live lion hearted, your faith must be larger than your fears and your feelings. Very good, thank you so much. We're gonna keep moving. Here's Mark Batterson's quote and let me just kinda share this, this is a longer quote. He basically says enter Jesus into our lives. Our inner fool must be caged and shackled by a world that is made to suppress it. But Jesus came to free the fool. I don't think we can understand the full implications of his mission to proclaim that captives will be released. It means more than just simply freedom from sin. And he keeps going in the next slide. He came to get us out of the psychological straitjacket that we've gotten ourselves into. I love that terminology Getting ourselves into a psychological straitjacket. I won't ask if that's you, but I think we can all relate. It's about more than the elimination of sin. It's about the redemption of our God-given potential. It's not about doing anything wrong. It's about making a unique contribution for as many spins on the planet as we get. But we've got to let the fool out. I could go on and on and on and list all the things that have been accomplished in this world when somebody said, that's a foolish idea. What a foolish thought. Now, let me just ask you a question. You remember the story of Benaniah? He followed the lion down into a pit on a snowy day. If you were watching in the grandstands and Benaniah followed the lion down into the pit on a snowy day, you would have gone, what is that fool doing? (laughs) What is that crazy man thinking? You don't do that, right? But it is the defining moment in his life. It is the moment that God shows up in ways and more powerful than ever before. It is the thing that opens doors for him. It is the story told about him for the rest of his life. I don't know if ancient Israel had rocking chairs, but if they did, and if they had front porches, he'd have been on the front porch with his grandkids saying, you know, one time (laughs) your old grandpa did something pretty crazy. Maybe you've heard about it. I followed a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Really? Yeah. And God brought me through. You know, it's a funny thing. For most of us, we're so busy making sure that we don't look foolish that we never do anything of substance with our lives. It's just an interesting thought. All right, let's keep going. And I want to make sure that you capture this. You got to remember it is possible to experience negatives without becoming negative. Now, I I got an idea. Just to make sure that you don't fall asleep. My battery pack's not going to go out again, so you'll have to stay with me. After each one of these, if you believe it, would you guys say amen for me? It is possible to experience negatives without becoming negative. It is possible to be incorrect without being an idiot. It is possible to experience failure without being one. It is possible to do a foolish thing without being a fool. It is possible to be childlike without being childish. It is possible to grow older without getting old. Now, I know some of y'all are like in your 20s and you don't care about that last one, but a lot of us do. (laughs) Here's what I would say. If all of that is true, here's what we can't miss. Let's go to this next slide. We cannot miss this. Making a mistake does not make you a mistake. And you can fail without being a failure. Now, I believe that. As a guy who's failed, as a guy who's made a lot of mistakes, I believe this with my whole heart. As a guy who's reading a book by Mark Batterson, who started a church, sent out a bunch of letters saying, we're starting a church in Chicago, can't wait for you to be a part of it. And they never had a single service, not one. They raised money, raised awareness, raised a big stink and said, make sure and come, we're starting a brand new church and then it never actually started. Let me ask you a question. If that were you, wouldn't you be heading for the hills? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? Wouldn't you change your occupation? (laughs) Mark Batterson moved to another city but he said, we're gonna do it right. We're gonna do it with God this time. I feel incredibly foolish about that thing but I'm not gonna let that be the shackles for the rest of my life. And now he is a best-selling author, one of the most influential people in Christian thought here in our world today. A guy who probably, if he were like most of us, would have quit and given up a long time ago. You guys understand what I'm saying? Can I get an amen on that? That's powerful, that is powerful. All right, so let's go back and let's kinda share a couple of things very quickly. I said, don't miss this. You can do all of these things. I want to go to this next slide, and it looks very much like the same one, but I put an extra sentence on there. You can fail without being a failure, but the difference is how you react and when you what? Stop. It's how you react and when you stop. Right? I could go into so many stories about how I reacted wrong and when I was tempted to quit. And when I didn't quit because I was just too embarrassed to quit, then something positive ended up happening. It's probably happened to you. Very similar. Let's go to this next slide and let's talk about the reaction to this very same event. Let's talk about what David didn't do. When he walked into the house and he blessed his wife, Michelle, he said, Hey, <laughs> Here I am, I'm home. I've brought these things from the parade that was going on. If you'll allow me to say it that way, the holy parade that was going on. Here's what I brought. It's supposed to be a blessing on this house and to us as a family. And he walks in and she goes, "Ho, oh, decided to come home, did you? Boy, you sure distinguished yourself today. This is the New Texas version. You really made a kingly entrance today. You were half naked, jumping around in front of everybody. What in the world were you thinking? And David could have gone, Yeah, you're right. I'm really embarrassed. I don't know what I was thinking. But he didn't. By the way, just because you're a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that you're never able to stand up for yourself. Just because you're a woman after God's own heart doesn't mean you're not able to ever stand up for yourself. David goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. I understand that that's how you feel, but I'm gonna tell you what I was feeling in that moment. I got lost in the worship of God, and if you didn't like it, that's okay with me because it wasn't for you in the first place. I just stumbled across something really powerful. If you don't like it, it wasn't for you in the first place. My life is not for you and your life is not for me or anyone else who wants to go in there and put their own little comments about what you should and shouldn't have done, how you could and couldn't have done. Your life is supposed to be bringing glory and honor to the one who created you and gave you life in the first place and if God is good with it man who cares what people think do you understand what I'm saying I mean it's about you and God and living the life that he gave you with the utmost intention to be a blessing with his power David could have wilted you're right Oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Now I feel really embarrassed. Was it as bad as I thought it might have been? He could have wilted. He didn't wilt. Actually, let's go to this next slide. Instead, David acted with wisdom. And here's what I would say. He acted with wisdom in this way. He didn't go, oh, you're right, and wilt. Instead, he said, you know what? I know that you didn't get it, but it wasn't for you. But let me be very, very clear about something I was supposed to worship the Lord, and that's what I was focused on. Now, you can judge me for whatever you want to judge me, but this is what I was doing and why I was doing it. Let's go on here very quickly, and let's read what he said. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Man, you ain't exactly acting kingly today. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. All right, now here we go. <laughs> Shots fired, <laughs> it's coming. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your daddy to be the king of Israel. Sorry. Let's go on a little further. And he says, or anyone else of your household. And he appointed me ruler of the people over Israel and I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But of these slave girls that you spoke of, I'll be held in high honor. And notice this last line. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But let me just say what's going on. David said, look, God pulled me out of the back pastures and made me the king. He didn't give it to me because I was born into your household. He brought me in and made me king. I'm going to celebrate before God. If you don't get it, I can't help you. I can't change your mind. I can just simply tell you that the thing that I was giving to God was pure. And it wasn't intended to be a show. It was just intended to be worship. If your God cannot grow beyond your fears, your failures, your embarrassment, then you're not really truly worshiping nearly enough. I'm not just talking about coming to worship. I'm talking about grasping what God's doing in your everyday life. The more God is a part of your everyday life, the bigger he grows. And the bigger he grows, the less you care about what everybody else thinks. And I don't know about y'all, but in this world today, it sure is important to know who you are and where you stand with who really matters. All right. So we just shared this with David's response. There is some question, why did Saul, Saul's daughter, Mishael, have no children to the day of her death? Why? So most scholars have two theories. They're both interesting there is no clear-cut decision or, you know, clarity from God's word, but there are two things that are basically agreed upon. It could be one or the other, and they're both really, really powerful. So let me share with you. One is that God said, okay, well, if, I'll, if you're not interested in worshiping in this way and you're going to make fun of those who do, then you will no longer have descendants from your part of the line. If that's that hard and foreign for you to grasp, then you don't need to continue to have a kingly or priestly line going on. So God closes her womb and no more children. The second possibility is that David and Mishael are never the same again. Now, I don't want to go into it too deeply because I know this is not a teen class week, but let me be very clear. There are times where it's easier to become pregnant each month. And maybe David and Michael were still close, but never were the same level of closeness as they were before. You guys understand? Maybe Michel's unwillingness to worship and to grasp what's really truly going on with David put a wall between her and David that they never got through again, despite the fact that she has always up to this point been a woman who honored David, who's very important to David. This is a warning that we need to hear and understand. If we can't give grace to those who look foolish, even when we don't fully understand, We better be careful that that lack of grace doesn't insulate us from becoming what God would have us to be. You guys with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Amen? Okay. So let's keep going very quickly. I'm about to bring this to a close. Three things to consider. He was very honest. He said, you know what? I know exactly what my motive was. It wasn't so people could see me. It was just all about the Lord. So my motive, but you and I, if we're going to look in our own heart, we got to be very honest with our motives. We got to be very willing to say I'm human just like everybody else and mistakes will be made. This is not an excuse for not planning, all right? But do realize that sometimes things are gonna fall apart and when it happens, you just look around and go, we're human beings living in a fallen world. And then very quickly, that understand that perceptions vary and perceptions change. I'm gonna be honest with you. As I get a little older, some of the things that just absolutely kill it in the younger set are things that I can't grasp and understand. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can I get an old person to say amen in this? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't get it. And then the kids are like,
0: wow.
1: I'm like, Mm-mm. why? Because your perception is not what they're after. That's not who they're trying to reach. They're trying to reach people of their own age and demographic. And you know what? For many of us, We have to grasp and understand that ultimately there are people that are going to judge us one day and later come back and go, you know what? I was wrong when I judged you. The problem comes in is when we cease to live the life that God has called us to live because we thought, well, people are saying things and they always will and they always have. (laughs) But ultimately, why does it matter? I'm going to look foolish, but you know, if my motives are right, if I realize that I'm going to make mistakes because I'm human or whatever it might be, (laughs) I just keep moving and I say, I'm not here to live to please. And you know what? When things shift and change, maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. But here's what I know. I'm going to live my life because God has shared this with me, not because you approve. Very quickly, I actually put a few big questions up today. The big question is, are you willing to be looked upon as foolish by other people? Are you willing to be laughed at? And are you able to laugh at yourself? Go back one slide if you don't mind for me, Colin, and thank you for always doing such a good job. Don't miss this. We begin living less than lives when we take ourselves too seriously and we talk when we stop taking God seriously enough. Here's how you apply it. You know what? I'm just going to skip on. I'm just going to skip on. I'm gonna go all the way to the picture and the image of this person. How many of you guys know who this is? All right, I'm gonna go ahead and have the worship team come forward. Y'all, who is it? Chris? Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She was famous for playing Elaine on Seinfeld. Do any of you guys remember Seinfeld? I know Seinfeld feels like an awful long time ago for some of us. Do you guys remember one of the very most famous things that happened in Seinfeld. It happened in season number eight. It goes to this. It was Elaine dancing. She was terrible at dancing. How many of you guys remember that? It was embarrassingly bad. Like they would literally say, oh, she's trying to get her people at the work to just start dancing with her. And they're like, come on, let's dance, you know? And they're all like, no, no, no. She gets out there and she starts dancing and she is tremendously, horribly bad. I mean, terrible. I know y'all are wanting me to show you what she did, but I will not because then you will say, I'm tremendously, horribly bad at dancing and I can't handle that because it's way too true. All right, so here's the truth. This is what happened. It was one of the most famous things about Seinfeld. It happened in the eighth season. Now, I wanna go a little deeper on this. Now, the eighth season, eighth season, the creator of Seinfeld actually had the idea of Elaine dancing and being terrible at it for many seasons before, but they would not do it. They would not do it because they thought, no, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, and the genius that thought that they shouldn't do it was a guy by the name of Larry David. He's very famous for being very funny. He also did Entourage. And so anyway, you go back and you look. And he said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. He left the show. They did it on the eighth season. And the guy who was running the show said, let's practice this. They practiced it. And there was a member of the crew that walked over to him and said, do you think you should do this? He said, yeah, of course. She goes, well, do you think you might ruin Julia louis dreyfuss career if you make her look that foolish on camera? And the guy stopped for a minute and he goes, I'm not really sure. She might look that foolish and it might ruin her career. Here's what's crazy. She had never won an Emmy, although she had been nominated for them. But in the eighth season, when Elaine dancing so horribly became the famous thing, she won an Emmy that year because she was willing to look foolish. Now check this out, late in her career, late in her career, she was with Jerry Seinfeld in a web series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And if you know anything about Seinfeld, she got pregnant and they were trying to figure out what they were gonna do with her her character. they asked her, they said, we got a great idea. How about we just make your character a person that's struggling with their weight? And she goes, no, I'm not gonna do that. She started crying. She said, I could not be that foolish. Years later, in comedians, getting coffee in cars, I didn't say that right, but you know what I'm saying. Guess what she did? She said, you know what? That would have been hilarious. I should have done that. Isn't it interesting how we can be brave and yet cowards at the same time? Isn't it interesting how we're willing to look foolish and then not at some times in our lives? I would say if we're gonna live lionhearted, no matter what other people say, we need to live our lives in a way that first pleases the one who gave us the life in the first place. And what other people say is going to change. And in some ways it won't ever change. But ultimately, it's not about them. It is about me and the one who created me. Don't live your life embarrassed and looking around and wondering if somebody saw you look foolish. Because you know what? It's a human thing. It's a human thing. We all look foolish. We just don't have to let it rule us. Heavenly Father, help us to never be slave to the idea of us looking cool, having it all together, being people who are perfect. But instead, God, help us to understand that looking foolish and yet having you on our side, living a life that people might not understand or grasp, but knowing that we are living for you, is the way that we experience true life and truly make a difference with our life. In Jesus' name.